0: The second reading is from 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Then we're also reading verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life.
1: I saw a man the other day driving his daughter to a sporting event and uh, she's in the back of the car, she's eating food, food's going everywhere. He's just driving on smiling and very content. Um, She's even got bubble gum and sticks it to the window and gets stuck into her hair and she gets out, she's a real mess He's got food stuck on the back of his clothes as he walks off, but he's content, he's smiling, nothing's troubling him. It's that new Toyota feeling ad. You know that Toyota feeling used to jump in the air? Now they've got this sort of content guy where things are going chaotically wrong in the car, but he's content, he's got a Toyota. I've got a Toyota, spends most of the time down the road the mechanics. I don't have that same sort of feeling about my Toyota. Don't we long for that feeling, though, of being content, of being able to be, be able to enjoy life when life goes wrong around us. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? And I mean, you don't have to have a Toyota to do that. But there's, there is, it needs to be a way that we can you know, not be ruffled, not be upset, not be disturbed by what goes on in life because there's so many chops and changes in life. There's things that are beyond our control yet still influence us. And even if we do seek to have, you know, the nice car or the house or the or the career or the holidays or whatever, uh, those things come and go. I mean, I, I love watching sport. I love the rugby league season. But trouble is, the rugby league season finishes. Well, sometimes the team I'm barracking for doesn't win. You know, even New Zealand wins, and that's even worse. Or you know, great. Sometimes things just don't work out. And so you don't sort of have that everlasting joy. You're not, and sometimes because you don't have that joy, you can't be content. It's hard to be content when you don't have any joy. Your joy is stolen. And sometimes our joy is stolen by just the constant demands of life, that the life is so busy and, and you, know, you just get a bit of sickness or you get a bit of this and a bit of that. That influences what you're doing and makes it hard and just robs us of joy. Being content, having a state of peaceful happiness, being satisfied with our life is something that every person needs. And the Bible passage today is going to tell us how to do that. You see, in this passage today, we've got the false teachers are still there and they're, uh, they're motivated by the wrong reasons. Uh, they've moved away from the sound teaching that's uh, about Jesus Christ in verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrine, does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching. It's sound teaching. something you can rely on. And it's the words of Jesus Christ passed on through Paul. Paul's his um, messenger. Paul's an apostle. And so it's the words of Jesus Christ. And they lead to godliness. They've got a good direction. They're going to lead to a God-pleasing, before God-right life. And there's two responses that people can make to God's word. They can humble themselves and tremble at it and really want to obey it, or they can harden their hearts, stiffen their necks, and reject God's word. And the false teachers have done that. They've rejected it. Their motivation in verse 4 is they're conceited and understand nothing. They're full of their own opinions, their own ideas of things. They won't listen. And in fact, they've got an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about work, words. You see, the sound teaching, that's healthy. These guys are unhealthy. They're sick. They're breeding, breaking down relationships. And the result is going to be disunity. We see that where it says, with envy, resentment towards others, strife, that competitive spirit, contending with others, malicious talk. They're abusive towards their rival teachers. They're evil suspicions, forgetting that fellowship is to be built on trust, not suspicion. And verse 5, there's a constant friction between men of corrupt mind who are being robbed of the truth. Jesus is not in the picture. It's all about them, their knowledge, their strong opinions. They've got a depraved mind, they've lost the truth, and that makes them think that godliness in itself is a financial gain. They think, uh, godly, get money. Mm. You see, Ephesus was a wealthy city. It had the uh, shrine, the cult of Diana there, and the shrine to Diana. Silversmiths and craftsmen made these uh, silver shrines which were sold to the many visitors that came. It's a very wealthy city, Acts chapter 19. And history shows that down through uh, time, there's been uh, often attempts to commercialise religion and make money out of religion. But godliness is not a means to financial gain. In fact, godliness with contentment is great gain. Look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. Uh, The idea of um, godliness is mentioned 10 times in the uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles they're called, 10 times. Paul doesn't talk about godliness anywhere else except here. And what is godliness? Let me remind you, it implies a good and holy life with a special emphasis on the source, a reverence for God, a deep reverence for God. Having God in the right place in your life, a right approach to God, a right attitude to God, and then that means you'll have a good and holy life. Christian commitment does not depend on external things. As Paul writes in Philippians 4.12, he writes, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, and that is to depend on Jesus Christ. He can be content no matter what goes on, not external things, but on his relationship to God through Jesus, and by that he can be content. So it's not being self-sufficient, not having all the things you need, but being Christ-sufficient focusing on jesus christ and having everything you need in him being fully satisfied in jesus because we brought nothing into the world it speaks about life and death doesn't it brought nothing in the world take nothing out so true john stock writing about this says our possessions are the are only the traveling luggage of time they are not the stuff of eternity they're only the travelling possessions of time Time on earth, we don't take them into eternity Isn't that true? I mean you can try, I mean the Egyptians used to They used to have their pyramids and put all their possessions in there And now they dig them up, their possessions are still there Their bodies are raw, rotten, mummified And you can, when you're buried you, know, you can put whatever you want in your casket, if it'll fit You could even have a big enough graveside You can be buried in your car if you wanted to but it's going to rust, it's going to destroy, it's going to stay there. You're not going to take it with you, no matter what you try and do. And we're on a journey, as John Stott rightly said. And in this journey, the best in life is yet to come, and that's going to come in eternity for those in Jesus Christ. And as Paul talks about that, he's not talking that people should be destitute, people should have nothing. He says in verse 8, But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. The idea of having uh, food and clothing, the word for clothing here actually has a broader meaning in the original language. It can mean shelter like a house and stuff. So if we have somewhere to live and we have clothes and and food and stuff, um, we'll be content. I'm not saying, hey, we've got to have the best house and the best clothes and the best food. Because we'll always be not content with that. We'll always be striving. We'll have no joy. We'll always want more, more, more. Somehow to learn to be content with what we have. Paul's not describing the maximum but the minimum that's compatible with being content. The minimum. Yes, we do need a house to live. We need shelter. We need clothes. We need food. We need those things to be content. Someone who doesn't have those in other parts of the world, yes, they can't be content. Life is too hard, but we have them in abundance. So Paul's been describing how to be content when you're poor. Now he's going to look at the the covetous poor, because some people who are poor but want more. He says in verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into a temptation and trap. The many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Wanting to get rich. Ecclesiastes, we read that in chapter 5, verse 10, says, whoever loves money never has enough money. Never has enough. Always needs more. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And this too is meaningless. Never satisfied... If you're not satisfied, you can't be content, you can't have joy, it just goes on and on. You want more and more. There's worry and anxious and anxiety. There's all these things that upset your life. And it's called covetousness. Never having enough, always wanting more. It leads to a temptation, a trap. It's the greed that ensnares. It causes people to sacrifice their duty and even their conscience to pursue wealth they'll do things they know is not right, they'll harden their conscience and they'll rob and cheat and steal and lie to get more. Money's like a drug and covetousness is like drug addiction. Money's like a drug because you want it, you want more and if you're coveting then you're addicted to that drug of money. The more you have, the more you want, the foolish desires are harmful to us and not just harmful to the person, they're harmful to those around them. Just like with someone who's on drugs, that affects the people around them too. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I'm not saying money's the root of all kinds of evil. Nothing wrong with money, it's the love of money, it's our attitude to money. Now, you can have a little bit of money and you can have a wrong attitude and it can be bad for you. You can have a millions of dollars of money and you can have a, a, a right attitude and it's okay. It's all about your attitude to money. Whether you love money more than God. You see, you can't pursue both God and money at the same time. They're both, money wants to rival God for your affections. Money wants to be the focus, wants you to to do things for money. Wants to take control of you, or me, of us. It's competing against us, money, to be most important in our life. And people who pursue money, people who love money, people who are are taken over to desire money like that drug, they grieve themselves, they pierce themselves with many griefs, it says. Things like worry. Worry remorse because they know they've done the wrong thing even if they have a hardened conscience and they're content they not can't can't be content it just eludes them they always got to have more they can never be content with what they have and there therefore is no joy it might be temporary joy but it goes nothing lasting because of money we're told not to pray for poverty or not to pray for riches in the lord's prayer we ask God to give us our daily bread, our daily necessities of life. That's what it is, not just bread as in food, but our daily needs. And God knows them and provides for, provides for us. And so the idea is not to move away from God and move away from the temptation to focus on wealth and money. And that's a danger for us, isn't it, living here? We uh, live in Australia, and two-thirds of the world would say we're rich today. Two-thirds of the world do not have enough food to eat. I don't know about you, but i got a cupboard full of it. I can pick and choose what I want. I can go down and get whatever takeaway I want, because it's just available on the road. I can go in the supermarket and think, oh, what will I get today? And two-thirds of the people don't even see any food to make a choice like that. And if they can get anything to eat at all, they're happy. There's no choice involved, just anything. So in that sense, we're rich. In other sense, we're rich too because they did a survey of all the cities of the world and they picked the 10 most livable cities in the world. And Sydney got in the top 10. I'm sorry, we're part of Sydney. You can say, I'm over the Hawkesbury River. I'm out of Sydney. No, we're still part of Sydney. So, you know, of all the world, you know, people would say Sydney's the one of the most livable places, one of the best places to live for lifestyle, for all that lifestyle means. And so we've got to watch it because we live in an environment where we're wealthy, even though we don't realise it. And we're constantly bombarded with ads to you know, get more and have this and, and sell your house and get another one, get a new car, update your clothes. Or up. We're just constantly bombarded with the idea of get more. You need wealth. To not trust in wealth, but to trust in God is our challenge. Because remembering what Jesus said, it can be a false security. Look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, put their hope in wealth, their hope in wealth. Because wealth is going to go. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he warned that treasures on earth will be destroyed by moth and rust and burglars. They don't last and they can be taken away from us. And ultimately, at the end of life, they are taken away and will lose all. He goes on the end of verse 17 to say, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put our hope in God because God will never let us down. He's reliable, he's constant, he's dependable. And says, because God provides for us, we're now to respond in a certain way because we know God is looking after us, particularly what he's given us in Jesus, but also he gives us a daily bread. And I never have enough money. I'd always like a bit more money, wouldn't you? Or maybe you'd like a bit more of this food or that food or this travel or whatever. There's always some things we want, but let's go back and say, what have we got? Yes, I've got a lot. And I need to start appreciating that so I can be content with what I have and have that joy that God wants me to have and be focused on God giving me stuff and thankful to him. It says in verse 18... Our response to that is in verse 18. Command them to be do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. People who recognize that God has given them wealth. God has provided for them and provides us for us very generously, much more than we deserve. And to use their wealth to relieve others and to promote good causes. To imitate God, the way God is towards us, who richly provides for us. He's rich and he passes his riches on. But teacher, I life to think he's rich in grace and he's very rich towards me in the grace he gives me? He gives us all of us. Let's be people who sacrificially give like God does to us. Let's do that to other people as we're able. In verse 19. In this, lay, in this way, they lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age, so they may take hold of life that is truly life—not the material treasures of earth, but treasures in heaven, a spiritual treasure. Jesus told the parable in Matthew sixteen, Matthew chapter six, sorry, Luke chapter sixteen. Jesus told the parable of an unjust steward, or what you call a shrewd manager, and this man was going to get sacked because he did the wrong thing. But he realized before he sacked, he'd use his position for the master to settle some debts and uh, do some business uh, to actually give him a better standing when he, when he was stood down with people. And so he used what was there to actually, and he helped people. He cancelled some debt and halved some debt and, and helped some of the people that were owing uh, money to his master. And he was commended. He was commended by Jesus, not for being dishonest and that's why he was getting the sack, but for how he used what he could do to help others. And if he was, then how much more are we to do that? How much more are we to use what we have to help others? You see, when you're wealthy, when you're rich, and that's us whether you like it or not, we're not to be proud about that. We're not to look down on the people who are poor and can't afford or can't do what we can do. We're told to be good and generous. We're people who fix our hope on what God has done for us, not the not the uncertain riches that we have, but on what God does for us in Jesus Christ. We fix our hope on the eternal life that's coming. Remember what Stott said. We're on a journey, the things we have now are just temporary things, temporary luggage we're taking with us. Yeah, we need them, we enjoy them, we use them, but we're not going to take them to eternity. They're going to stay here. So we don't have to rely on having that Toyota feeling from what we can get out of life because a lot of people do, don't they? A lot of people want that Toyota feeling. if They they do things because they want to get something out of it, but it doesn't last. That's only an ad. And as I can tell you, Toyotas don't work like that. But instead... We have a godliness. We have godliness, a deep reverence for God. We recognise what God's done for us in Jesus Christ, and we just awe and wonder Him. We recognise His amazing love for us. We recognise His constant grace to us, and we can be content. We can be fully satisfied with what God has given us to in Jesus, and we don't need anything more. And we can be content. And also we can have joy, joy in life, joy in what God has done for us, joy in being the people of God, joy in being able to go through life. And when the challenges come, we can have joy because the challenges are opportunities for God to show he's in control, God to give us the strength to get through them, God to deal with them and turn them around if he wants to, God to bring other people in to help. So whatever comes, we can be content. We can have a smile on our face, we can be calm, we can be relaxed. And we're not looking to ourselves, we're looking to God in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. Because we have a hope that God who richly provides for us will provide everything we need in life. Let me pray. God, you're an awesome God and we often just take our eyes off you. We can't help but see the things around us to see the things we have to see the things other people have and sometimes the things can move you out of your place sometimes the things can become too important Lord help us not to fall into that trap help us to always remember that what we have is coming from you you provide for us and Lord that we might also recognize the things that we have are not important compared to jesus christ in eternity let us remember we are travelers we're on a journey the best in life is going to be in heaven help us to enjoy what we have now to but not just enjoy them but also to share them and help others with them lord not to help us to hold tight to things and become anxious and worried because when we do we're giving them undue importance but lord help us to hold tight to jesus Have that peace of mind, that eternal joy, that being fully satisfied with Jesus and being content. We pray in your name. Amen.